0: Welcome to The Drabblecast, episode 230. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Outstanding story, outstanding show for you folks this week, examining and interpreting humanity through the anthropomorphic. Let's dive right in with a 100-word story. This week's Drabble is called Sheep, and it comes to us from Drabblecast forumite Phenopath. We pulled this story from the Drabble section of our discussion forums, where you're welcome to write and post stories exactly 100 words in length and get friendly community feedback. You might even wind up having it on the show. Give it a shot. Bah, says Dave. Dave is a sheep, like me. We stand in the meadow under a blue sky dotted with small white clouds. It is the perfect day to be a sheep. Baaah, repeats Dave. He is offering to share the patch of clover that he is eating. I take a bite. Delicious. Baaah, says Dave anxiously, looking at two men climbing into the field. They yell human words which I cannot understand. Oh, I Freak, get out of my land says one of them, incomprehensibly. I wonder who they are shouting at. There is nobody here, but us sheep. Who are we fooling with our tendency to always assess reality and regard it through an exclusively human perspective? In The Descent of Man, Charlie Darwin dismissed this idea of human exceptionalism, saying that our differences are only in degree, not in kind. The world of the jungle is both itself and our world, too. And so by giving animals human characteristics, or exaggerating aspects that resemble traits commonly thought of as human, I guess I should say, we access various social insights and gain self-knowledge. Who's been sleeping in my bed? You might hear Papa Bear complain. And who's been sleeping in my bed? Mama Bear angrily protests. When of course the real question now burning in all of our minds, including the no doubt despondent Baby Bear is, why do Papa Bear and Mama Bear sleep in different beds? Really, I mean, what's going on in this marriage behind the scenes? And how do you all have porridge at all different temperatures? Explain that to me. Bears definitely know a lot more than they let on. When Smokey tells us that 9 out of 10 forest fires are caused by humans, all I hear him saying is, there's a bear out there somewhere that knows how to f***ing use matches. Right? I mean, if that last one isn't on us, not our gas stoves, our cigarette butts, Billy Joel didn't do it, who else could it be? Squirrels? (sighs) Please, squirrels are idiots. They never discovered fire. They invented parkour. Bears, on the other hand, are dangerous and smarter than we give them credit for. Hell, half of all bears are smarter than the average bear. I bet if we trained bears to fly planes, 9-11 would never have happened. So, appropriately this week, we bring you Bears Discover Fire by Terry Bisson. Mr. Bisson is the author of seven novels, two novellas, and countless short stories. Publishers Weekly called Bisson one of science fiction's most promising short story practitioners, and his work has turned up in Playboy, Asimov's, Omni, Fantasy and Science Fiction, Harper's, Socialism and Democracy, and many others. He's a member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America and lives in Oakland, California. Bears Discover Fire won the Hugo, Nebula, Theodore Sturgeon, the Locus Pole Award, the Asimov's Reader Award, and the SF Chronicle Award, and was only one of a series of brilliant and unpredictable stories that sent shockwaves through the field and almost overnight made Terry Bisson one of the top SF short story writers in the U.S. This story first appeared in Asimov's Science Fiction Magazine in August 1990. So without further ado, we bring you Bears Discover Fire by Terry Bisson. I was driving with my brother, the preacher, and my nephew, the preacher's son, on I-65 just north of Bowling Green when we got a flat. It was Sunday night, and we'd been to visit Mother at the home. We were in my car. The flat caused what you might call knowing groans, since, as the old-fashioned one in my family, so they tell me, I fix my own tires, and my brother's always telling me to get radials and quit buying old tires. But if you know how to mount and fix tires yourself, you can pick them up for almost nothing. Since it was a left rear tire, I pulled over to the left onto the median grass. The way my caddy stumbled to a stop, I figured the tire was ruined. I guess there's no need asking if you have any of that flat fix in the trunk, said Wallace. Here, son, hold the light, I said to Wallace Jr. He's old enough to want to help and not old enough yet to think he knows it all. If I'd married and had kids, he's the kind I'd have wanted. An old caddy has a big trunk that tends to fill up like a shed. Mine's a 56. Wallace was wearing his Sunday shirt, so he didn't offer to help, while I pulled magazines, fish and tackle, a wooden toolbox, some old clothes, a come-along wrapped in a grass sack, and a tobacco sprayer out of the way, looking for my jack. The light went out. Uh, shake it, son. I said. It went back on. The bumper jack was long gone, but I carry a little quarter-ton hydraulic. I found it under Mother's old Southern Living's, 1978-1986. to I'd been meaning to drop them at the dump. If Wallace hadn't been along, I'd have let Wallace Jr. position the jack under the axle, but I got on my knees and did it myself. There's nothing wrong with a boy learning to change a tire. Even if you're not gonna fix and mount them, you're still gonna have to change a few in this life. The light went off again before I had the wheel off the ground. I was surprised at how dark the night was already. It was late October and beginning to get cool. Shake it again, son, I said. It went back on, but it was weak, flickery. With radials you just don't have flats. Wallace explained, in that voice he uses when he's talking to a number of people at once. In this case, Wallace Junior and myself. And even when you do, you just squirt them with this stuff called flat fix, and you just drive on, three ninety five a can. Uncle Bobby can fix a tire himself, said Wallace Junior, at a loyalty, I presume. Himself, I said from halfway under the car. If it was up to Wallace, the boy would talk like what mother used to call a HELOC from the gorges of the mountains. But Drive on radials. Shake that light again, I said. It was about gone. I spun the lugs off into the hubcap and pulled the wheel. The tire had blown out along the sidewall. I won't be fixing this one, I said. Not that I care. I have a pile as big as a man out by the barn. The light went out again, then came back better than ever as I was fitting the spare over the lugs. There was a flood of dim, orange, flickery light. But as I turned to find the lug nuts, I was surprised to see that the flashlight the boy was holding was dead. The light was coming from two bears holding torches, standing by the edge of the trees. They were big, 300-pounders, standing about five feet tall. Wallace Jr. and his father had seen them and were standing perfectly still. It's best not to alarm bears. I fished the lug nuts out of the hubcap and spun them on. I usually like to put a little oil on them, but this time I let it go. I reached under the car and let the jack down and pulled it out. I was relieved to see that the spare was high enough to drive on. I put the jack and the lug wrench and the flat into the trunk. Instead of replacing the hubcap, I put it in there too. All this time, the bears never made a move. They just held the torches. Out of curiosity or helpfulness, there's no way of knowing. It looked like there may have been more bears behind them in the trees. Opening three doors at once, we got into the car and drove off. Wallace was the first to speak. Well, looks like the bears have discovered fire, he said. When we first took Mother to the home... Almost four years, 47 months ago, she told Wallace and me she was ready to die. Don't worry about me, boys, she whispered, pulling us both down so the nurse wouldn't hear. I've drove a million miles, and I'm ready to pass over to the other shore. I won't have long to linger here. She drove a consolidated school bus for 39 years. Later, after Wallace left, she told me about her dream. A bunch of doctors were sitting around in a circle discussing her case. One said, we've done all we can for her, boys. Let's let her go. They all turned their hands up and smiled. When she didn't die that fall, she seemed disappointed, though as spring came, she forgot about it, as old people will. In addition to taking Wallace and Wallace Jr. to see Mother on Sunday nights, I go myself on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I usually find her sitting in front of the TV, even though she doesn't watch it. The nurses keep it on all the time. Say the old folks like the flickering. It soothes them down. What's this I hear about bears discovering fire? She said on Tuesday. Yeah, it's true, I told her as I combed her long white hair with the shell comb Wallace had brought from Florida. Monday there'd been a story in the Louisville Courier-Journal, and Tuesday one on NBC or CBS Nightly News. People were seeing bears all over the state, and in Virginia as well. They had quit hibernating and were apparently planning to spend the winter in the medians of the interstates. There have always been bears in the mountains of Virginia, but not here in western Kentucky. Not for almost a hundred years. The last one was killed when mother was a girl. The theory in the Courier-Journal was that they were following I-65 down from the forests of Michigan and Canada. But one old man from Allen County, interviewed on nationwide TV, said that there'd always been a few bears left back in the hills, and that they'd just come out to join the others now that they had discovered fire. They don't hibernate anymore, I said. They make a fire and and keep it going all winter. I declare, Mother said, what do they think of next? The nurse came to take her tobacco away, which is the signal for bedtime. Every October, Wallace Jr. stays with me while his parents go to camp. I realize how backwards that sounds, but there it is. My brother's a minister, House of the Righteous Way, reformed, but he makes two-thirds of his living in real estate. He and Elizabeth get together and go to a Christian success retreat in South Carolina, where people from all over the country get together and practice selling things to one another. I know what it's like, not because they've ever bothered telling me, but because I've seen the revolving equity success plan ads late at night on TV. The school bus let Wallace Jr. off at my house on Wednesday, the day they left. The boy doesn't have to pack much of a bag when he stays with me. He has his own room here. As the eldest of our family, I hung onto the old home place near Smith's Grove. It's getting run down, but Wallace Jr. and I don't mind. He has his own room in Bowling Green, too, but since Wallace and Elizabeth move to a different house every three months, part of the plan, he keeps his 22 and his comics, the stuff that's important to a boy his age, in his room here at the home place. It's the room his dad and I used to share. Wallace Jr.'s 12. I found him sitting on the back porch that overlooks the interstate when I got home from work. I sell crop insurance. After I changed clothes, I showed him how to break the bead on a tire two ways, with a hammer and by backing a car over it. Like making sorghum, fixing tires by hand is a dying art. The boy caught on fast though. Yeah, tomorrow I'll show you how to mount your tire with the hammer and a tire iron, I said. What I wish is I could see the bears, he said. He was looking across the field to I-65, where the northbound lanes cut off the corner of our field from the house at night, sometimes the traffic sounds like a waterfall. I can't see their fire in the daytime, I said, but wait till tonight. That night, CBS or NBC, I forget which is which, did a special on the bears, which were becoming a story of nationwide interest. They were seen in Kentucky, West Virginia, Missouri, Illinois, Southern, and of course, Virginia. There have always been bears in Virginia. Some characters there were even talking about hunting them. A scientist said they were heading into the states where there was some snow, but not too much, and where there was plenty of timber in the medians for firewood. He'd gone in with a video camera, but his shots were just blurry figures sitting around a fire. Another scientist said the bears were attracted by the berries on a new bush that grew only in the medians of the interstates. He claimed this berry was the first new species in recent history brought about by the mixing of seeds along the highway. He ate one on TV, making a face, and called it a new berry. A climactic ecologist said that the warm winters, there was no snow last winter in Nashville and only one flurry in Louisville, had changed the bear's hibernation cycle and now they were able to remember things from year to year. Bears may have discovered fire centuries ago, he said but forgot it. Another theory was that they discovered, or remembered, fire when Yellowstone burned several years ago. The TV showed more guys talking about bears than it did bears, and Wallace Jr. and I lost interest. After the supper dishes were done, I took the boy out behind the house and down to our fence. Across the interstate and through the trees, we could see the light of the bear's fire. Wallace Jr. wanted to go back to the house and get his .22 and shoot one and I explained why that would be wrong. Besides, I said, a 22 would wouldn't do much more to a bear than make it mad, and besides, I added, it's illegal to hunt in the medians. The only trick to mounting a tire by hand once you've beaten or pried it onto the rim is setting the bead You do this by setting the tire upright, sitting on it, and bouncing it up and down between your legs while the air goes in. When the bead sets on the rim, it makes a satisfying pop. On Thursday, I kept Wallace Jr. home from school and showed him how to do this until he got it right. Then we climbed our fence and crossed the field to get a good look at the bears. In Northern Virginia, according to Good Morning America, the bears were keeping their fires going all day long. Here in western Kentucky, though, it was still warm for late October, and they only stayed around the fires at night. Where they went and what they did in the daytime, I don't know. Maybe they were watching from the Newberry bushes as Wallace Jr. and I climbed the government fence and crossed the northbound lanes. I carried an axe, and Wallace Jr. brought his 22, Not because he wanted to kill a bear, but because a boy likes to carry some kind of gun. The median was all tangled with brush and vines under the maples, oaks, and sycamores. Even though we were only a hundred yards from the house, I had never been there, and neither did anyone else that I knew of. It was like a created country. We found a path in the center and followed it down across a slow, short stream that flowed out from one grate and into another. The tracks and the gray mud were the first bear signs we saw. There was a musty, but not really unpleasant, smell. In a clearing under a big hollow beach where the fire had been, we found nothing but ashes. Logs were drawn up in a rough circle and the smell was stronger. I stirred the ashes and found enough coals to start a new flame, so I banked them back the way they had been left. I cut a little firewood and stacked it to one side, just to be neighborly. Maybe the bears were watching us from the bushes even then. There's no way to know. I tasted one of the new berries and spit it out. It was so sweet, it was sour. Just the sort of thing you'd imagine a bear would like. That evening, after supper, I asked Wallace Jr. if he might wanna go with me to visit mother. I wasn't surprised when he said yes. Kids have more consideration than folks give them credit for. We found her sitting on the concrete front porch of the home, watching the cars go by on I-65. The nurse said she'd been agitated all day. I wasn't surprised by that either. Every fall, as the leaves change, she gets restless. Or maybe the word is hopeful again. I brought her into the day room and combed her long white hair. Nothing but bears on TV anymore, the nurse complained, flipping the channels. Wallace Jr. picked up the remote after the nurse left, and we watched a CBS or NBC special report about some hunters in Virginia who had gotten their houses torched. The TV interviewed a hunter and his wife, whose $117,000 Shenandoah Valley house had been burned. She blamed the bears. He didn't blame the bears, but he was suing for compensation from the state since he had a valid hunting license. The state hunting commissioner came on and said that possession of a hunting license didn't uh, prohibit—enjoin, I think was the word he used—the hunted from striking back. Uh, I thought that was a pretty liberal view for a state commissioner. Of course, he had a vested interest in not paying off. Uh, I'm not a hunter myself. Don't bother coming on Sunday, mother told Wallace Jr. with a wink. I've drove a million miles and I've got one hand on the gate. I'm used to her saying stuff like that, especially in the fall, but I was afraid it would upset the boy. In fact, he looked worried after we left, and I asked him what was wrong. How could she have drove a million miles? He asked. She had told him 48 miles a day for 39 years, and he'd worked it out on his calculator to be 336,960 miles. Have driven, I said. And it's 48 in the morning and 48 in the afternoon. Plus, there are the football trips. And plus, you know how old folks exaggerate a little? Mother was the first woman school bus driver in the state. She did it every day and raised a family, too. Dad just farmed. I usually get off the interstate at Smith's Grove, but that night, I drove north all the way to Horse Cave and doubled back so Wallace Jr. and I could see the Bears' fires. There were not as many as you would think from the TV. One every six or seven miles, hidden back in a clump of trees or under a rocky ledge. Probably they look for water as well as wood. Wallace Jr. wanted to stop, but it's against the law to stop on the interstate, and I was afraid the state police would run us off. There was a card from Wallace in the mailbox. He and Elizabeth were doing fine and having a wonderful time. Not a word about Wallace Jr., but the boy didn't seem to mind. Like most kids his age, he doesn't really enjoy going places with his parents. On Saturday afternoon, the home called my office, Burley, belts, Draft, and Hale, and left word that mother was gone. I was on the road. I work Saturdays. It's the only day a lot of part-time farmers are home. My heart literally missed a beat when I called in and got the message. But only a beat. I'd been long prepared. It's a blessing, I said when I got the nurse on the phone. You don't understand, the nurse said. Not passed away. Gone. Ran away. Gone. Your mother's escaped. Mother had gone through the door at the end of the corridor when no one was looking wedging the door with her comb and taking a bedspread which belonged to the home. What about her tobacco? I asked. It was gone. That was a sure sign she was planning to stay away. I was in Franklin, and it took me less than an hour to get to the home on I-65. The nurse told me that Mother had been acting more and more confused lately. Of course, they're going to say that. We looked around the grounds, which is only a half acre with no trees between the interstate and a soybean field. Then they had me leave a message at the sheriff's office. I would have to keep paying for her care until she was officially listed as missing, which would be Monday. It was dark by the time I got back to the house and Wallace Jr. was fixing supper. This just involves opening a few cans, already selected and grouped together with a rubber band. I told him his grandmother had gone, and he nodded, saying, She told us she would be. I called Florida and left a message. There was nothing more to be done. I sat down and tried to watch TV, but there was nothing on. Then I looked out the back door and saw the firelight twinkling through the trees across the northbound lane of I-65, and I realized I just might know where to find her. It was definitely getting colder, so I got my jacket. I told the boy to wait by the phone in case the sheriff called, but when I looked back halfway across the field, there he was behind me. He didn't have a jacket. I let him catch up. He was carrying his 22 and I made him leave it against our fence. It was harder climbing the government fence in the dark, at my age, than it had been in the daylight. I'm 61. The highway was busy with cars heading south and trucks heading north. Crossing the shoulder, I got my pants cuffs wet on the long grass, already wet with dew. It is actually blue grass. The first few feet into the trees, it was pitch black and the boy grabbed my hand. Then, it got lighter. At first, I thought it was the moon but it was the high beams shining like moonlight into the treetops, allowing Wallace Jr. and me to pick our way through the brush. We soon found the path and its familiar bear smell. I was wary of approaching the bears at night. If we stayed on the path, we might run into one in the dark, but if we went through the bushes, we might be seen as intruders. I wondered if maybe we shouldn't have brought the gun. We stayed on the path, The light seemed to drip down from the canopy of the woods like rain. The going was easy, especially if we didn't try to look at the path, but let our feet find their own way. Then, through the trees, I saw their fire. The fire was mostly a sycamore and beech branches, the kind that puts out very little heat or light and lots of smoke. The bears hadn't learned the ins and outs of wood yet. They did okay at tending it, though. A large cinnamon-brown northern-looking bear was poking the fire with a stick, adding a branch now and then from a pile at his side. The others sat around in a loose circle on the logs. Most were smaller black or honey bears, one was a mother with cubs. Some were eating berries from a hubcap. Not eating, but just watching the fire. My mother sat among them, with a the bed spread from the home around her shoulders. If the bears noticed us, they didn't let on. Mother patted a spot right next to her on the log, and I sat down. A bear moved over to let Wallace Jr. sit on her other side. The bear smell is rank, but not unpleasant, once you get used to it. It's not like a barn smell, but wilder. I leaned over to whisper something to Mother, and she shook her head. It would be rude to whisper around these creatures that don't possess the power of speech. She let me know without speaking. Wallace Jr. was silent, too. Mother shared the bedspread with us, and we sat for what seemed hours, looking into the fire. The big bear tended the fire, breaking up the dry branches by holding one end and stepping on them like people do. He was good at keeping it going at the same level. Another bear poked the fire from time to time, but the others left it alone. It looked like only a few of the bears knew how to use fire and were carrying the others along. But isn't that how it is with everything? Every once in a while, a smaller bear walked into the circle of firelight with an armload of wood and dropped it onto the pile. Median wood has a silvery cast, like driftwood. Wallace Jr. isn't fidgety like a lot of kids. I found it pleasant to sit and stare into the fire. I took a little piece of Mother's Red Man, though I don't generally chew. It was no different from visiting her at the home, only more interesting because of the bears. Inside the fire itself, things weren't so dull either. Little dramas were being played out as fiery chambers were created and then destroyed in a crashing of sparks. My imagination ran wild. I looked around the circle at the bears and wondered what they saw. Some had their eyes closed. Though they were gathered together, their spirits still seemed solitary, as if each bear was sitting alone in front of its own fire. The hubcap came around and we all took some new berries. I don't know about mother, but I just pretended to eat mine. Wallace Jr. made a face and spit his out. When we went to sleep, I wrapped the bedspread over all three of us. It was getting colder and we were not provided like the bears with fur. I was ready to go home, but not mother. She pointed up toward the canopy of trees where a light was spreading and then pointed to herself. Did she think it was angels approaching from on high? It was only the high beams of some southbound truck but she seemed mighty pleased. Holding her hand, I felt it grow colder and colder in mine. Wallace Jr. woke me up by tapping on my knee. It was past dawn and his grandmother had died sitting on the log between us. The fire was banked up and the bears were gone and someone was crashing straight through the woods ignoring the path. It was Wallace two state troopers were right behind him. He was wearing a white shirt, and I realized it was Sunday morning. Underneath his sadness on learning of Mother's death, he looked peeved. The troopers were sniffing the air and nodding. The bear smell was still strong. Wallace and I wrapped Mother in the bedspread and started with her body back out to the highway. The troopers stayed behind and scattered the bear's fire ashes and flung their firewood away into the bushes. It seemed a heady thing to do. They were like bears themselves, each one solitary in his own uniform. There was Wallace's Olds 98 on the median, with its radial tires looking squashed on the grass. In front of it there was a police car with a trooper standing beside it, and behind it a funeral home hearse, also an Olds 98. First report we've had of them bothering old folks, the trooper said to Wallace. That's not hardly what happened at all, I said, but nobody asked me to explain. They have their own procedures. Two men in suits got out of the hearse and opened the rear door. That, to me, was the point at which Mother departed this life. After we put her in, I put my arms around the boy. He was shivering even though it wasn't that cold. Sometimes death will do that, especially at dawn, with the police around and the grass wet, even when it comes as a friend. We stood for a minute, watching the cars and trucks pass. It's a blessing, Wallace said. It's surprising how much traffic there is at 6.22 a.m. That afternoon, I went back to the median and cut a little firewood to replace what the troopers had flung away. I could see the fire through the trees that night. I went back two nights later, after the funeral. The fire was going and it was the same bunch of bears, as far as I could tell. I sat around with them a while, but it seemed to make them nervous, so I went home. I had taken a handful of new berries from the hubcap and on Sunday I went with the boy and arranged them on mother's grave. I tried again, but it's no use. You can't eat them. Unless you're a bear. our story. I like the idea of the medians between roads as a new created country. Bears discover fire as described by John Clute in the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction as a story that elegizes the land, the loss of the dream of America. The bears seem to be gaining something that we humans have lost, the art of enjoying company by a warm fire in the woods, perhaps. I definitely get that vibe. If the American dream has gone astray, lost its soul, hell, if humanity has forgotten some meaning that we discovered centuries ago, forgotten how to fix tires by hand, so to speak, would it take our figurative Yellowstone burning down to remind us? We can't change the seasons, but we can take care not to get caught up in a hibernation cycle. This is straight-up fable territory, people. Aesop would have been proud. If you enjoyed it yourself, throw us a donation via the support links on our website, travelcast.org. You can make a one-time contribution in the amount of anything you like, or subscribe automatically for five or ten bucks a month. Either of which really does go a long way on our end. We don't make any money with the travelcasts. We use every penny of your generous support to keep the show going and growing. Alright, enough panhandling for now, let's get to this week's 100-character story winner. Again for another week as the king of Twobble Hill, Munzee aka Chris Monroe, with this one here. As snakes devoured me, I understood. I never should have shopped at bed, bath, and Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Follow us on Twitter, at the Drabblecast for fun times and stories. Try writing a 100-character story yourself. That's 100 characters exactly, not counting spaces. And post it in our discussion forums. It really is a blast. All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, The DrabbleCast is produced with a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, blog about us, help spread the weird. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Matt Wasiela. Find out more about him and his phenomenal work at mattwasiela.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, I'm Norm Sherman, reminding you it's Helot, not Helot. Big Bear in the forest park. Looking forward to torch- And do dream in the winter and eating them salmon when they're swimming upstream. This is the life.